Welcome to The Edges of Lean. I'm Bella Engelbach, and in this podcast, we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking, unusual places where lean thinking is practiced. We meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles. So come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean. Episode 40, Continuous Improvement and Leading Change with Art Birschbach. Art Birschbach is the Principal Consultant with B10 Consulting, LLC. His personal mission every day is to add value. In the business world, he lives this out as a business coach and consultant in the areas of leadership, management, marketing, sales, operations, and finance. He is, is a certified John Maxwell speaker, coach, and trainer. A former Air Force pilot, John received his Lean Six Sigma black belt as an executive with Raytheon. All right, Beersbach, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Thank you, Bella. All right, tell us about yourself. What are you doing today and how did you get to do it? Okay, well, kind of a long story, but obviously I'm an Air Force guy. So after the Air Force Academy, I was privileged to fly, I got to fly in the F-111s. And as an instructor, I would fly in the wing and teach pilots to be flight leads. Years later, I had the opportunity and I noticed that in the Lean and Six Sigma world, good projects had good team leads. Projects that struggled had bad team leads. So I was right back to my Air Force roots where I'm leading business leaders by following along with them and teaching them to be better business leaders. So hence the business wingman concept, that's what I wanna do. So over a lot of years, I just found that every project, no matter what it was, was trying to get an improvement. If you want people to improve, they have to do something different. For them, that's a change. So every leader needs to be good at leading change. Wow. So I. Take me back to that time. Mm-hmm. Um, you're sitting in an aircraft, which is flying how mm-hmm. fast? Hey, it varied. I mean, you know, we would fly low levels at usually eight miles a minute, sometimes nine miles a minute, nautical miles a minute. Um, okay. One of, the, one of the memories that's just a picture ingrained in my brain that I'll never forget and why I love doing it. We were coming off a target on the Nellis Ranges one time. And we decided we'd uh, go out low level. So I looked over at my wingman as we're doing Mach 1.4 at about 100 feet. And I could see a shockwave rippling across the desert floor. And that's just one of those things that, God, I love that. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. I can't e- even imagine that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that was very fast, very low, mm-hmm. right? And so, but you're not necessarily leading, you are training other leaders. Absolutely. And, you know, in the Air Force, you're always training future leaders. It's always one of the emphasis points. And that's true across the military. And if you think about why, just go back and look at a couple of Medal of Honor recipients. These are amazing people who did amazing things. But when they got out of bed that morning, most of them did not have the title of leader. These are people that stepped up. So that's why you always have to train leaders. In the business world, what's that mean? It means you don't want to have to be there every minute. You want your people, the people, 
that you want to do the day-to-day work in your business to be developed as leaders and know when they have to step up and take care of the customer or make a decision based on your vision as the owner and your values as the owner as the C-level exec. One of the primary things a leader has to do, no matter who they are, I don't care if they're chief of staff of the Air Force, if they're owner of a mom and pop with two employees, you have to be sharing your vision and make sure people understand your values because that's the way your organization has to run. Right. So I'm going to ask you, this is going to kind of sound funny after talking about F-111s and flying across the the desert. Uh, I have dogs, and uh, so I spend quite a bit of time learning how to train the dogs, so I can mm-hmm. have a you know a reasonable life with the dogs. And one of the right. things that dogs, one of the things that the dog training people say is, train for the situation, not in the situation. And I was wondering, you know, what do you think about that? Because what you you know what you're talking about is mm-hmm. is being in the situation right when you're running a business mm-hmm. uh, uh wherever you are in the business you're going to kind of be in the situation all the time but right. so how do how do you feel about about that i i hadn't put it heard it put that way but i kind of like it and as i'm trying to digest it here on the fly i do think it applies because you're not going to have canned situations things will be different you know, always right. fond of saying a plan never survives first contact with the enemy. So why should right. I bother planning? Because you got to have something to adapt from. So you do the planning and then you adapt based on the changes in the situation. We always know the situation will change. We don't always, we never know how. So you have to be prepared and you have to be trained for situations that may come up, but you also have to be adaptable and flexible as the situation changes. Right, right. Which is an interesting concept when you're thinking about lean um, and you think about standard and using standard process, right? And it's one of the arguments I think that people have against a lean, you know, not that we sort of want to do lean deployment, but, you know, about deploying that way of thinking and putting standards in place is that people are very afraid that if you put a standard in place, we know things are going to change. Right. Things are changing all the time. They're almost changing faster than we can keep up with them. And so we don't want to put a standard in place. But if we don't have that standard in place, we might not even see what the problem is. And, oh, and mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I think lean, actually, I kind of like the lean example, because if you think about what lean is trying to accomplish, you know, you're trying to provide a service or a product at the pull of the customer with a minimal amount of waste and minimal cost, the boss doesn't know it all. So I think that's a case where you need to understand the difference between a manager and a leader. Admittedly, a leader needs to have skills as a manager, but we reward managers, especially in middle management, for consistency, for producing the same thing, the same way, the same amount over and over and over. And they get locked into not wanting to take a risk because they know they succeed by that consistency. And we want leaders to break things and put them back together better. Leaders are focused on getting better results. That's the core of continuous improvement. 
So leaders really do need to be willing to take a risk, break the status quo, and put it back together better. And you can only do that if you're listening to your people and if your people feel free to make a suggestion and take a risk. And you have to give them that freedom. Right. And I think it's really important, especially for middle managers. I love that you talked about middle managers. And I often talk about how they're really stuck, right? A middle manager is, you know, they've got to deliver that thing that their department or their group is supposed to deliver. They've got... That you know, they're the next, they're the level of management that's closest to the where the work is actually mm-hmm. happening, right. and they and so they get a lot of things inflicted on them. So you know, from oh, from do. from further above, um, you know, sometimes it's unfunded mandates, and sometimes it's you know, cha- you yeah. know, what appears like a change, a random change that doesn't make any sense to them. Yeah. So how do you well, go ahead? Well, I was just going to say middle managers are really at the place where they have to understand the very basics of leading a group. And that's that there's really two things involved. They have to get results while they're building relationships. It's not an either or. You have to do both. And that balance can be tough to reach. Yeah. So how do you advise Lead as you're working with leaders that bring you into your organization, how do you advise them to engage with the levels below them? Well, first and foremost, leaders have to value people. We have a dearth in the world, I think, but definitely here in America, Mm -hmm. of values-based, people-centered servant leaders. And we see that over and over and over. People have a title that doesn't make them a leader. It just means they have a title. So first, y'all, you have to value people. And there's some ways you do that, but mainly it's by the way you treat them. Okay, for me, it's the behaviors for success. For me, that's integrity, respectfulness, forgiveness, selflessness, humility, commitment, kindness, and patience. If you treat your people that way, you are showing them you value them. So I got to tell you, and you know this, that those are not necessarily things that are taught in engineering school, business school, um, you know, the places that people go to, you know, to learn their their art, to learn their, their craft. Um, and so I think people come into the workplace needing all that stuff for themselves, but not necessarily knowing how to do that for others. So how, how might somebody start? Let's say if you're, if you're a continuous improvement consultant and you're working with, I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. You're you're working with a leader, right? And you see the leader come in and you, you, you persuade them that it's a great idea for them to go to the gamba, to go to the actual place, see where the work is happening. And the first thing that that leader does is say to somebody who's doing their job, why'd you do it that way? That's Mm -hmm. all wrong. That's not the way I would do it. You dope. What would you say to that leader? That leader has 
actually a whole lot of learning to do. Yeah. Um, I try and disengage them there as quickly as possible. And then to me, to, you know, especially leading up, but leading in any situation is asking better questions. Okay. I can walk in somewhere and I can give them Art's answer and that's fine. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. Maybe they'll believe it. Maybe they won't. But when I ask Bella the right questions that lead her to an understanding of what maybe would have worked better. Now Bella has drawn, I've drawn Bella's answer out of Bella. You buy in, you own the answer. It's your answer, not mine. So to me, that's the essence between mentoring and coaching. Coaching is really asking better questions and finding those answers that are inside of somebody and drawing them out so they own that answer. And then they're going to do it. They'll be accountable to it. They'll be better leaders because of it. It may not be fast, but it certainly, I think, arrives at a better solution. Yeah. So can you give us an example, something that you've seen, and not to embarrass anybody that you've worked with, of course. Okay. Um, let me go back to one of the favorite projects I've had. And it's one of my favorites because it happened about four times faster than I would expect. But uh, a, a client brought me over to Scotland because he swore he couldn't get any more product through his plant. And so he felt he needed a new, new building and wanted me to help lay out the product flow. And I got there. And the first thing I noticed is this guy was a ball of stress. He was, I was afraid he was going to fall over a, of a heart attack any minute. His front office team was not really engaged. All the decisions went through him. They couldn't do anything until he approved it. And down on the shop floor, um, yeah, it was kind of full, but there was a lot of potential there. So after a couple hours, I pulled him aside and I just said, you don't need a new building. Here's what we need. And I talked about those things. We talked about how we can develop his team, how we can make them accountable for decisions that he had not released in the past and let them go off and do it. And we did a little bit of lean on the shop floor. And to me, this is a two-year project. Six months later, though, I'm standing on the shop floor next to him. He is visibly more relaxed. I'd already seen his front office team was engaged and busy. He was so relaxed. He's a very religious guy in our religious community. And he was taking time off to drive the school bus to the local church school. I mean, he was living a much better life. He was much happier. The shop floor was about a third empty. Things were organized. They were moving, but nobody was running. There was no panic. And he leaned to me and goes, Art, our throughput is up 40%. Wow. I mean, still telling that story. That's why I do this. I help his life. I mean, I really believe that. And that's why I do this. So what did that take? First of all, and this is true of a lot of business businesses, you have to teach the C-level guys or the owner to let go and stop micromanaging. Tell your people what you want to done, develop the skills in them to do it, and then get out of their way. Let them run with it. Kind of a long is, answer, but that's what I would do. That's what I would advise is get out of their way, but train them first. 
So, so that you know, training for the situation. So, the, the, when they're in the they're in the situation, but that's not as easy as it sounds. Right? I mean, to to say to somebody, particularly if it's their business, right? This is my business. I built it. Mm-hmm. To say some to somebody, now you're going to step back, right? You're going to start to trust yes. people. That's mm-hmm. an incredibly difficult thing to ask people to do yes, because, the, and the first thing that's going to happen is something is not going to go exactly right, right? So every that's going to, every single time, right? So that's going to be stressful mm-hmm. as well. So so what's the sort of the next piece of calming advice, or, you know, of way of thinking well, for somebody in that yeah. situation? I ask them what they want for their business long-term. Do you want to work here forever? Do you want to hand it off to your kids? Do you want to be able to sell it? In any of those cases, what is the value worth if everything has to go through the owner? If everything has to go through the owner, nobody wants to buy that. If I succeed with a business owner when she can take her family to Hawaii for two weeks and leave her cell phone on the desk because she knows the business won't, won't miss a beat. Now, there's a business that has value in the marketplace. Somebody's willing to buy that because that value continues even without the owner in the middle of it. And that's, that's what I think you should build in any situation so your team can run and your team can be successful and they're not waiting for you to make a decision. Most owners can do anything in their business better than anybody else, but they can't do everything better than anybody else. They need to, de- oh, excuse me, they need to develop yes. their people and they need to hand off to somebody anything that can be done 70% as well as the owner can. Let them start at 70% and build them up till they can do it as well as you. But the owner can't do everything. That puts a lid on the business. Um, if your listeners are familiar with John Maxwell, he is the uh, leadership author and he is the best in the world at leadership right now, without question. And if you go back to his basics, the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership, The number one is your leadership level puts a lid on your business. You can only grow your business so much. You kind of reach a plateau based on your leadership level. And the only way to grow the business beyond that, do better beyond that, is to raise your leadership level so your business can grow and move up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Wow. So, so being a leader is a continuous improvement job in and of itself. Right? It's a journey. It never ends. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Leader, people follow a leader because they get something from that leader. A leader always has to be able to give something. If the leader stops growing and has nothing left to give, people stop following. That is the limit. They go find somebody that will help them grow and continue to do better. So one of the things that that you and I talked about previously was about this concept of change. And we've talked about change as being, you know, it's inevitable. It's happening really, really fast. Leaders have to be able to lead for change. And you you talk about the the importance of of having that that set of values, the internal set of values. How do people go about identifying their personal values? 
Mm-hmm. And how do they then start to translate that into how they relate to the people who are working for them or with them? Yeah, there's a number of different tools you can start with. You have to start with personal values, like you mentioned. And that it, there's a couple different ways to do that. I have a couple different exercises. I kind of like the one where list the five or six people you most admire in the world today and then put down why. Why do you admire them? So there's a window into your values a little bit. I also have an exercise I use in groups where, forget the exact number, but there's about 200 different things that could be values. And I want you to highlight, you know, maybe the top 20 first. And then whittle it down to 10. And this is where it gets hard is whittle it down to three Mm -hmm. to five. Okay. And it gets really tough. And then for organizations, you kind of have a a good feel for your personal values. Now I team people up in pairs. And I want you to agree on the top 10 between the two of you. And then switch to another partner. Each of you have your top 10 list. And I want you to agree on the top five. And I try and go to the top three sometimes that we don't get there. But that helps, I think, with both, both personal values and organization. Yeah, and sometimes you actually have to sort of test them out, right, and see how do these fly in the real world, right? Oh, are these yeah. are these really resonating with the rest of the organization, and and are they linked to where we're going, where where we expect to be going? Yeah. Once yeah. we get down to that, you know, whatever the number winds up being, three, five, seven, I want you to take those and go live them and talk to your organization about them, and let's get back together in sixty days and tell me what you think. So at least we've had a little bit of gel time and a little, you know, real real world influence on it to see, you know, how are these gonna how are these gonna work. But the other part is, you know, you can talk the talk, but you have to walk the walk. Mm-hmm. One of the best vision statements that included values I've ever read was with a company named Enron. So if you go back through your accounting books, you'll probably see how that worked out for them. They talk right. the talk. They did not walk the walk. Right. So for those of you who are maybe a little younger, uh, Enron mm-hmm. was a, what, a financial services company. That Actually, they, was, were, they were an energy were, company. An energy and company, the financial yes. services were through Lehman, and they pulled Lehman down. Uh, right. That's call. right. That's right. A, a famous... Mm-hmm. Uh, a famous, really negative business situation, famous one disaster. that nobody yes. wants nobody wants to be in, yeah. right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I saw an interesting exercise the other day in a completely different context, you know, speaking of living values, um, which was, uh, you know, to, as a result of an exercise, come up with something that you wanted to have happen in the, mm-hmm. in the next week. And then when people got back together a week later, to be prepared with a story of how you had lived that situation. Oh, I like that. That's good. So that gave that mm-hmm. gives people that gives people a chance to all right, let's do it, right? Mm-hmm. Let's not just talk yeah. about it. But in the next week, I actually need to go and do this. You know, if so, if we've decided that a value is kindness, hopefully in a week you can find an opportunity to be oh, kind yeah. to somebody. I love that. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was. The, I thought that was a. That was a. I definitely want to want to try that. You know, make it a, make it make it a requirement. Yeah. So again, go kind of kind of going back to, to change. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I think that we we have that we have this these ideas about change that you know that uh, and you know that there are various change management approaches that we could use. We talk about change management. We talk about change leadership, um, and they almost all include the component of making some people wrong. So, you you know, you kind of divide people into, all right, you've got your early adopters, they're the people who will go along with you, you've got your group of people in the middle who are waiting to see what happens, and then you have this group of people who are resistors, right, who are not going to change, they're going to hang on to the old way no matter what. And, I, and again, kind of right, to put you on the spot, what do you think about that as, you, as you're looking at people and respecting people and valuing people, is that a good way to look at people when you're leading change? I know what happens. I personally prefer not to look at it that way. Uh-huh. So what you described, I would say, is an organization that has not spent enough time planning and communicating before the change occurred. So it, it, it has to be crystal clear from the very top leadership that for a big change from the very top leadership that the current situation is not acceptable. We cannot continue the way we're doing, getting the results we're getting. And then we have to develop a team that is going to communicate that. And the team has to be larger than, uh, than what you expected. If I can grab something real quick, make sure I don't say it wrong. If you go back to uh, John Cotter's book, Leading Change, Mm -hmm. he makes it very clear there is no checklist. But he says, very commonly, I see these steps in successful change. So the first is you have to create a sense of urgency among the relative people. That's that idea that our current results are not acceptable and we have to go do something different. Then you have to create a guiding team. And this is a fairly high-ranking team, and it's bigger than what most people expect. You get a lot more people involved. And within that team, you have to have a very clear, very simple, uplifting vision and a strategy to attain that vision. And then you have to communicate that vision and the strategy. But even more, you need to do it thoroughly and repeatedly. And I like to make sure this is a place where I think a communication plan is invaluable. So you're going to have kind of just general broadcast communications up front. Here's the situation. Here's why it's not acceptable. We need to do something. And then as you start to get more people involved, you start saying, hey, I think this might work. And we want some input from you. What, you know, you think this would help us get a better result than what we're getting now. So you're trying to involve as many people as you can. Give them a voice, make sure they know they're being heard. And then when you get the team that's really gonna plan and execute the change, you have to empower the stakeholders. The only role of the leader then is to remove obstacles. The team should own it, the team should be running with it right now. And then you gotta get that first short-term win. That right up front, short-term win, and then publicize it, communicate it. Make sure everybody knows. You know, at some point, a leader has to be a little bit of a cheerleader too. After that short-term win, that's the time for the rah-rah speech. That's the time where you tell them how good you're doing. See, I knew you could do it. 
And then you build momentum, you let up, you build on those short-term changes and you keep doing this until you have a brand new culture and you make the change stick. The other thing I wanna make sure of, or I try to do, I have been most successful in implementing changes when I changed the environment so they physically could not go back to the old way. So I had a, uh, we had a program when I was with Raytheon where we made some improvements to the repair process on the M1 thermal imaging system. We were one of the depots repairing it and we just were taking too long. The army just didn't want to wait that long to get their parts back, rightfully so. So we changed the process, but in, as we changed the process, we put all of the workstations in a new room, in a new area that was not compatible with the old way of doing it. So we've changed both the process and the environment. So those kind of naysayers that wanted to stick with the old way physically couldn't. They didn't have the facility to go back to the old way. So I think all these things together are important to have a successful change. And we were, yes. we achieved so much in terms of our lead time. The next year, we actually had a big contract increase and more of the work came to us than the other depot. So. Well, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. 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 And I think that's, that is very important. I, I really like what you said about about changing the environment and that could be the cultural environment or it could be the physical environment right yes right yeah so true. so yeah. you know what a, you know what a, whatever it is um but and i think and i think at the heart of it right all right is that it has to be in the end an actually good change i think when people talk about you know is that a particular change failed I don't know. They always examine was this a good change to start out with, right? You know, that's the yeah. that's the thing that um, you know that is the that is the the biggest killer of yeah. change, because uh, people aren't going to go along with something that that obviously has has major major flaws. Oh, absolutely. And the people see it. What a lot of change project leaders don't do a good enough job at is speaking in the language of the owner or the, the leadership. Their language is dollars, clear and simple. Mm. So make sure you can explain, here's what our current situation is costing us after the change. Well, here's what we invest to do the change. After the change, here's the return you're gonna get. You have to make it crystal clear in dollars or they're probably not on board. Yeah, yeah. Their minds will drift off somewhere else and so yeah. their attention. That right. is absolutely true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you could change one thing in, I'm only talk about the U.S. right now. If you're going to change one thing in U.S. business right now, what would you do? Give you Earth's magic wand. What would you change? You know, I have to go back to we need we need more values based, people centered servant leaders. You know, Bella, I've never once had a business, and I'm kind of paraphrasing Mark Cole, he's the uh, CEO of all the John Maxwell Enterprise. On the phone, Mark is very fond of saying as he's talking to us, and by the way, I'm part of the John Maxwell team, so I do get to get a lot of advice and ask questions of Mark, and it's a wonderful opportunity. But Mark is fond of saying, we've never had a single company come to us and go, you know, Art, I got a big problem. I have too many really great leaders. That's never happened. Okay. So 
we just need more of those leaders who care about people and care about results and get care of yourselves at the same time. Yeah, right. So where are they going to come from? We make them. We make them. Okay. My goal, very much like John Maxwell's, is I want to influence leaders I never meet. So I want to go out there and teach business owners to be great leaders and develop more leaders in other places, people I never meet. So that's my legacy I want to leave is I want people to be out there understanding the way to move forward is to create more leaders. So it's kind of it's kind of like if you're raising your kids right, so they'll raise your grandkids right. Very much. And I use a lot of examples with kids, not because I think employees are children. I think children are people too. And if we treat oh. them, if we treat them well like adults, they'll make better decisions. They won't be perfect. They'll make mistakes. They'll make bad decisions, but we all do that. So we have to learn and move forward. In, in fact, it's in our failures that I think we learn the most. We are not always good about evaluating our successes and understanding why. We go to great lengths to understand our failures. And, uh, you know, I had a commander in Europe that he really taught me that. It was, we had had an inspection and it was four and a half days, real long days, and we got an outstanding. It was the highest mark you can get. Afterward, the commander pulls the evaluation team in and we're talking through all the things that happened. And we're several hours into this. And finally, one of the guys goes, hey, boss, boss, wait. You do know we did well. We didn't fail, right? So why are we going through all this? And it was almost like he got right in my face and everybody else's face in that room and said, because I don't ever want you to succeed by accident. I want you to know why and be able to repeat it. And that just stuck with me. He made a real impression there. I love that. And that is so much in line with what I teach people about actually creativity. You've got to start by looking at what's good, because what it, first of all, that actually helps you think more clearly. It engages right. the, the thinking creative part of your brain. But secondly, as you're saying, if you understood why that went well, then you can build that into whatever it is that you're going to do next. But I, I love that. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be succeed by accident. You know, we, we get lucky sometimes, but if you know yeah. what went well, then let's let's make that part of our standard, part of the way we yeah. move forward. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's so it's so much more positive than uh, conducting a post-mortem. That was something that I, <laughs> when mm -hmm. I was working for the big company, people wanted to do post-mortems. And I said, I wasn't really into, you know, doing post-mortems, but I, mm -hmm. I was very happy to look at lessons learned and lessons learned can be things that are both positive and negative. Right. So. Well, and, and that's one lesson I carry forward out of the fighter squadron that I think really helps me. We would have, you know, I'd have a flight that was, say, two and a half hours. And so by the time we did our pre-flight and planning and everything had to be done, by the time we get back to the squadron, you know, we could be at easily eight or 10 hours of the day. And I've had debriefs where we go into, we 
take everybody in the flight, lock ourselves in a room, rank is left outside. You know, and if my boss is part of the flight and he made a mistake, we're going to talk about it. We're going to point it out. I'll do it respectfully, just like with anybody else. But if I skip over a mistake the boss made, there is no doubt in my mind after that debrief, I would no longer have been an instructor. He expected me to go over everything that happened, everything that went well, everything that didn't. I've had two and a half hour flights go five hours into the debrief. So we go over everything in great detail because we're spending hundreds of thousands of your tax dollars each flight and we owe it to you to get the most out of each one. And to keep everybody alive and keep the That's equipment nice. in good yeah. shape. Yeah, yeah. As, as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're really delivering. So, I mean, so you talk about a very interesting cycle there, which is, which is you're going to plan. And then, as you said, when the plan will not necessarily suffice once you get up in the air, right? Yeah. It's going to be weather. Absolutely. There's going to be traffic. There's going to be mm -hmm. birds. Who know, who the heck knows what happens, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. Um, so it happens and then you come back and, it's, and you're actually spending, in this case, more time looking at what happened and learning from it than you did actually doing it. And that is Absolutely. not something that we see in business very much, no. right? No. Right. And, you know, I'm not sure how far I would take that, but I do think we need to do a better job evaluating our own performance after things happen, because that's where the learning occurs. You know, people go out and say experience is the best teacher. Don't believe that for a second. It's evaluated experience is the best teacher. It's when you go over it and figure out what happened is where the learning occurs. That is a great uh, quote right there. Evaluated experience is the best Absolutely. teacher. Mm -hmm. All right, you have been around a few blocks. You've 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 been around a, the planet a few times, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you think about a young person starting out in their career, what would be the well, the thing that you would say to them if you you know, you have that five minutes with them? What would yeah. you say to them? Find a great mentor. Okay, when when you first get commissioned, one of the first things you're told, and not enough of us did it is go find some crusty old sergeant and follow him around for a couple of years. Figure out what works and what you can learn there. And they'll give you great lessons. They'll give you lessons in leadership. They'll give you lessons about life. But, you know, don't just assume that the brand new, you know, second lieutenant, you know, they got, we call them butter bars. They got the uh, kind of gold single bar is the rank. And, you know, they are just fresh out of college, but it's those sergeants that have been out there for years making things actually happen that can teach you about leadership. So find a good mentor. And that's really interesting that, you, that you're saying, look for a mentor who may not be, in your case, you, you, you know, it may be enlisted versus rank right so you're going to well. you're, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And I, you know what strikes me about that Art, is uh, we're coming up on the time of year um, when in healthcare, um, people are going to be graduating from school and studying mm -hmm. on their on their careers. And um, I know it's, you know, constant complaint that the new docs, you know, don't know what they're doing. Of course, we all hope that, that they learn quickly. But, you know, there are going to be people out there who can help you out you just you just need to ask them right or you need to oh, absolutely you need to let them know yeah. that you need help yeah one of the local hospitals here i i was talking for a while with the chief medical officer and he told me you know art i got some of the best trained people in the world technically technically you know i got some surgeons that know their specialty just absolutely down cold everything there is to know about it but through all their training they maybe only got 10 minutes of bedside manner Mm. And nobody told them anything about leading people. And now I have this highly technically trained people. I need to lead a team to do a project. And nobody's ever talked to them about how to do that. So they need to get out there and find these people. You know, I think one of the best things that can happen to a doc is latch on to one of these nurses that have been around for 20 years and have seen it all. And you know, put the ego away for a minute and go up to them and ask, ask them to teach you things, ask them, follow them around and see what they do, see how things happen. You know, and that's part of the humility. I read that list of behaviors for success. Humility is one of them. To me, humility is being open to learning, being willing to listen. Or, you know, as I sometimes more crudely put it, everybody in the world knows something I don't know. And if I'm a first class a-hole, they're not going to teach me. Right, right. You know, you, you can't take anything in that way. Yep. You, you have to be open. You know, especially leadership, but all of life is a growth journey. It's not a destination we achieve. You're always growing. You have to be open to learning. And, and so what you're saying is young folks find that mentor, middle-aged folks find that mentor. Old folks yeah. find that mentor too. There's always yeah, somebody I'm, to learn I'm from. Still, yeah. You know, one of the guys I talk with regularly, a couple of them, you know, one's in their 20s. But, you know, a couple of years ago, his business cleared near, near 800 grand. So obviously he knows something I don't know. Right. So you want to learn something from him. Absolutely. That's great. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, thank you so much. I've had a great time with this conversation. I, I love, uh, for those of you who are watching as opposed to listening, if you're listening, what you're seeing behind Art are some fighter jets. What kind are they? Uh, they're two F-111s. I don't, I can't promise you I'm in one of them. A friend of mine took that picture and we're not sure who was flying that day, but if it's not me, it's guys I flew with mm. on other days. All right. Yeah. All right. So uh, tell us about your, your, uh, your company. Yeah, B10 Consulting. Uh, B10 because Bierschbach has 11 letters. So my flying nickname is B10. Nobody's going to say Bierschbach. It's way too much. So B10. And I give business owners their lives back. I look for those businesses like that one in Scotland where the owner is buried in today. Buried in today's deliveries, today's orders, today's emails, today's phone calls, today's vendor issues. And she lays in bed at night going, oh, I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Let's develop her team. 
teach them how to do the day-to-day -day stuff, teach the owner how to let go, and pay attention to what owners ought to be paying attention to. Values, vision, mission, strategy, goals, maybe a couple key customers. But that's where the owner makes the business better and those doing the day-to-day -day work take care of the business. And that, that's great. And that's, that applies to any kind of business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, thank you so much for traveling well, with me you, to the edges of lean. Yeah, I, thank you. I enjoyed it. It was a great conversation. I hope it helps somebody. This is Bella Engelbach, and I'd like to thank Art Birschbach for being my guest on the Edges of Lean. How are you leading change? We'd love to hear from you. Find Art at yourbusinesswingman.com or on LinkedIn and start a conversation. Find me at leanforhumans.com or on LinkedIn or comment wherever you watch or listen. And tell a friend about the Edges of Lean. Please join me in exploring more of the Edges of Lean. There's a lot to learn. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelbach with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.